Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Good. All right. Um, I want to look at a, a sto- one of my favorite stories, actually. It is one that literally, literally changed my life and shaped my life when I heard my advisor, mentor in graduate school, the late and great Samuel DeWitt Proctor, uh, preach the sermon. And I got to say this, I'll I'll say now, I've shared this story before, but for those who don't know, um, my first year of seminary at Divinity School was hard. Not hard in terms of school. I was newly married and had a child. And then in that first year, I found out I had another one on the way. (laughs) Working two part-time jobs and full-time grad student. I tell folk, it was a time I was working Monday, Wednesday. This show how long ago this was. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at Blockbuster Video. And Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, well, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, I think, not even Saturday, at the front desk of a hotel. But it was hard. And I, I was young. I was 22. And in my mind, if you say yes to God, I was young, naive. If you say yes to God, it shouldn't be hard after that. <laughs> I was naive. I was, I was young. I thought once you said yes, Rash, it was like, we good. God going to take care of everything. You're going to be good. And it was hard. And I was ready to thank God to drop out of divinity school financially was hard and I was going to go join the military had it all planned out and um and I had spoke with the recruiter I spoke to Pastor Keisha and my mother I was like look I'm, I'm leaving this is this is crazy I'm struggling we we struggling we broke when we had nothing and I said I gotta take care of my family and then after I made the appointment with the recruiter I was gonna go to the Marines right and I got back to school. And on this particular day, Dr. Proctor was preaching in the Divinity School Chapel. And he preached the sermon, How to Recover from Perceived Failure. From this scripture I'm about to read. And I remember that entire sermon weeping in the chapel, just crying. And I went to Dr. Proctor afterwards. I said, Doctor, I got to tell you. I said, you, you might have saved me today from making what could have been the greatest mistake of my life. I want to read the scripture, Mark 16, 1 through 8. And it reads like this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Siloam bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, 
had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's a place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we thank you today. We thank you, God, because on this day, there are many things we celebrate. But God, we celebrate today empty tombs and resurrected possibilities. God, we thank you for how you continue to move in our lives in ways that are absolutely astounding. Not all of us are here because of your mercy and grace. We are kept because of your love. And so, God, today we say thank you. Thank you, God. Continue to do whatever you need to do in this time that is allotted to get the glory. And we will continue to lift your name. Have your way. Have your way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to remain standing. I want to just lift one verse. One of the most profound verses that changed my life. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Amen. 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 Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You take your seat. I want to talk this morning from this thought, resurrection and redemption, resurrection and redemption. I won't be long. We got another service today. It's been a long time since I said that. Resurrection and redemption. It was early on the first day of the week, the record says, and Mary Magdalene and Mary and the other Mary and Siloam came to the tomb. But they came to that tomb with great pain, deep, deep pain. The kind of pain that one feels when hopes have been dashed and dreams have been crushed and shattered. Their hopes were dashed, their dreams were shattered because their friend, their leader, their teacher was dead. The one whom they believed to be the Messiah. In their minds, last they saw him, the women that is, he was a bruised and battered and bloody corpse on his way to a borrowed tomb. The two women, well, the three women, were all eyewitnesses to this gruesome death. The truth is, in some ways, I could preach a different sermon this morning and title it, Thank God for the Women. 
that comes when all had forsaken him. It was the women who remained by the cross. And then here in these scenes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the ones who come to see about him are the women. Here in this scene, these women come again to this place of deep bruising and woundedness because their friend was gone. There would be no more mystifying messages about the kingdom of God. There would be no more hillside miracles. Their journey came to a bitter and abrupt end. And not only did Jesus die, but for them, it was also the death of what they believed were the infinite possibilities that he embodied and that they believed were infinite for them as well as long as he was alive. Again, they were hurt. Their hearts were heavy. Why did they go to the tomb? Was it not enough to see him die a death of a criminal executed on Calvary? Why did they go there? Scripture says that they went to anoint his body with spices, but he was already buried. But maybe they were there because something in them could not fully accept the finality of Friday. Something in them could not accept that their friend, their leader, was gone. Maybe they were there because they longed to be near the teacher again. Maybe they were there because they hoped maybe, maybe the words he spoke would actually come to pass where he spoke about the possibilities of resurrection. But in their hearts, that was a far-flung idea. But they came there nonetheless. When the women arrive there, they are startled by what they see. When they walk in the tomb, there is someone there in this dazzling attire. The stone had been rolled away, which was mind-blowing in and of itself. But then there was this figure there who then told them, in essence, he is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is gone. Do not be alarmed. The one you are looking for, Jesus of Nazareth, your teacher, your rabbi, is not here. Look, that's where they laid him. That's where he was, past tense. But he's no longer here. And then they get a message. Go tell the disciples and Peter to go ahead and meet him at Galilee. I've often been amazed by this scene because you would think that since all of this took place in Jerusalem and Jerusalem was where his enemies were and his adversaries were, that in some way he would make his first appearance in this place to prove to those who doubted him who he was, that he truly was the son of God. He truly was one who was the incarnation of the power and presence of God. But he tells them to go to Galilee, not Jerusalem. He was not invested in trying to prove himself to people who didn't care for him. I hope you get that today. <clears throat> that is not the bulk of the sermon, but you might need to hear that again, that it is a waste of time to try to prove yourself to people who may not actually care for you. And actually it's something I talk about in the book, Shameless Plug. <laughs> but no, don't do that. 
<clears throat> if there are people in your life who you know care for you and love you, that's more than enough. But to try to gain the approval and the visibility of the people who already have rendered you invisible and unnecessary and irrelevant is a waste of energy, resources, and good common sense. He goes back to Galilee. He tells them, meet me in Galilee. This is where it started. That is the place of the location of the initial ministry among his people, in his territory, in that town. Go tell the disciples, meet him in Galilee. But he didn't just say that. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. I love that line. Because that line says so much to me, and it did many years ago. Tell the disciples and Peter, and if you know Peter's story, if you know his history, you understand how significant this moment was. And even here on the resurrection day, this messenger gives to the women, tell the disciples and Peter. Peter is still significant, even though he doesn't feel very significant. You need to get that. Peter, from the beginning, was the one who seemed to be the unspoken leader of the 12. He was the one who was always quick to speak and always boisterous. And he was the one who had this deep relationship with Jesus. In fact, at their meeting, his name was Simon. Jesus told him, no longer will you be called Simon, but Peter. And then on another occasion, when he reminded him of who he was, he said, upon this rock, Peter means rock in the Greek, I will build my church. Peter was the boisterous one. When the Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? It was Peter who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It was in that same moment when they were together in the upper room that Peter told Jesus, no matter what happens, I will never leave your side. And Jesus told him that night, Peter, I love you. I know you got my back, but I know your arrogance, your boisterousness, and all of that won't mean much in a few hours. Before the cock crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. It doesn't mean I less love you any less. I'm just clear about who you are. Oh, God, let me pause there for a second, because sometimes the people whom we love have to also be people we love in spite of. Oh, gosh. See, the key is not whether or not I can love you. The key is, can I know you and love you? Oh, you missed that. I can love you. In fact, there are a whole lot of folk who love a whole lot of folk who don't know them. And the thing is, once you get to know some people, I mean, really know who they are and how they show up. The real test of love comes into the balance at that point, because when people show you all of who they are, the question is, can you still love them? And I know I'm talking to somebody here today because there are some folk I have learned to love in spite of who they are. But can I just add this piece to it? There's some folk I've learned to love in spite of who they are, but I just I put some space between myself and them. <laughs> I got to say that for some folks today because some people think that when you talk about love, no, love is real. Love is serious. And when you know folk and you really know them, there's some people you have to reconcile in your mind. I've had to do this many times in my life that I've had to say, you know, what? I do love you, my sister, my brother. But what I know is that for the sake of our well-being and for the sake of our mutual sanity and for the sake of my emotional well-being, I need to put some space between you and me. Why? I love you, but you're just a little too tired toxic for me and sometimes that toxicity can be dangerous destructive and damaging and I love you but watch this here's a secret when you live long enough you learn this I have to love you from what oh I know y'all knew that from a distance 
But here's Jesus. Peter, I love you. In fact, I love you so much that I love you enough to tell you the truth about yourself. I'm not impressed by your words now, Peter, for I know that in a few hours you, you're going to let, you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to deny me. I can't imagine when Peter heard that he had to get angry. Never. In fact, when they go to the garden, we talked about this the other day, when they all go to sleep and they leave Jesus while he's praying, when Jesus finishes praying, Jesus says, come on, my betrayer's at hand. And then Judas comes into the garden with all the soldiers. And what does Peter do? Peter draws a sword quick. Cut the ear off of one of the soldiers. Peter was gangster. He cut the man's ear off. Everybody tough until you may be the one in trouble. When they take Jesus away and they're putting Jesus through this mock cord and, and Peter is trying to get close enough. He was right. He followed Jesus. The other disciples did not. Peter followed Jesus as far as he could. And he was there in the courtyard outside where he was being really beaten and spat upon and ridiculed and chastised. And Peter was in the eye shot of this. He could actually see what they were doing to Jesus. And then some other folk came around as they were all sitting there, heating themselves, warming themselves by the fire. Some young woman said, aren't you one of the disciples who were with him? Peter was like, I, I no. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. You are one of the people who used to walk around with him. And Peter looked over and saw how they were beating Jesus. And he was like, nope. They came again. No, man, we know it. We know you used to be the fisherman. But now you've been walking around this area with him. And Peter said, I know not this man. Just as he said that, the cock crowed. In my mind, I've always seen that scene as one that when the cock crowed, Peter remembered the words of Jesus and took a glance back at Jesus. Jesus, with the blood running down his face, takes a glance at him and smiled at him. I want to believe that somehow he may have even mouthed to Peter, I still love you. Peter could not live with the guilt. <clears throat> we hear nothing from Peter after that. Peter leaves. And what I do know based on this scene in Mark 16 is that when he leaves, he leaves the disciples. He doesn't feel worthy enough to be a disciple. Because in his mind, he made the gravest of mistakes. He let his friend down. Have you ever felt like you let somebody down? Have you felt that feeling? It's not a good feeling, especially when you let people down who've been depending on you. When you let people down in ways that are damaging, not just to them, but probably more so to you. That feeling comes over you and guilt comes over you. And then you simply want to distance yourself from the spaces that remind you of the thing you did that caused guilt to be birthed in you in the first place. Oh, have you been there? Where you feel like everybody knew what you did. <laughs> 
And no matter where you went, you felt that people were looking at you and wondering who told what you had done. Have you felt that? Because guilt is amazing. Guilt very rarely travels by itself. Guilt travels with its companion, paranoia. Because when guilt is really working, paranoia rises. And you start feeling now that everybody sees you for who you really are. And then you begin to try to cover up that reality. But it's, it's part of your narrative. Peter is gone. He flees. He leaves. And Mark 16, 7 is the verse. The messenger, the angel tells the women, tell the disciples, one, what you've seen, he is risen. Take that message to them. Can you imagine? In that culture, women were not allowed in criminal cases to be witnesses because their words could not be trusted. In Jesus' day, even in death and resurrection, he's still turning the culture upside down. Because the ones who could not be trusted to be witnesses in any criminal or legal proceedings are now the ones who must be the witnesses to the resurrection. Even in that moment, he empowers women in that moment. You tell the disciples what you've seen. And don't just tell the disciples. Tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. Because somehow, maybe Jesus knew in the messenger understood that Peter like many of us when we've let people down we try to distance ourselves from the spaces of familiarity because of shame embarrassment guilt and paranoia tell the disciples and Peter those words on that day I shared with you saved me because I thought I was a failure in my mind, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, things should not be hard. And most of all, I shouldn't get in my own way. And when I heard those words that day and Peter and the sermon that followed, it redeemed me in ways that I could not redeem myself. It let me know that in spite of how I felt about me, God felt differently about me. That and Peter... You could really put and dash and put your name in that blank because there's always been moments in our own journeys when we've done things we were not proud of, done things that we were ashamed of, done things that gave birth to guilt in our lives. And somehow along the way, we experienced a redemption that restored us and renewed us and made us feel better about ourselves. That's what this resurrection scene is about. It's about redemption, that even when you feel like you are at your lowest moment, God is doing something to bring you back to a place where you can see yourself fully and not just see your mistakes or your imperfections. It is so easy to do in this culture with so many people love reminding you of how flawed you are or how messed up you are and love spewing hate and mean-spirited language or direction because you've said something wrong or done something wrong and everybody's ready to cancel you. But you can't be one for cancellation when you know redemption is real. When you know you have a God who can redeem you when you've been at your lowest point, that is power. That is transformative. In a word, what the messenger is saying is let 
Peter know that he's still part of the team. He's still part of the fellowship. No matter how he feels about himself, he is still part of the fold. He is still loved. He is still one of my friends, one of my beloved. No matter how many mistakes he's made, no matter how imperfect he may feel, he is still loved by God. And that is not a complicated message, but it can be healing for some of us who live in the aftermath of our mistakes and our flaws and our imperfections, that redemption is possible. But redemption cannot be possible if honesty is not present. You cannot be in denial of who you are and then want to be redeemed. No, you got to be able to confess, yes, I've made mistakes. And yes, I've done things wrong. And yes, I'm not perfect. But I can own that. And because of that honesty, I put myself in position to experience the heart of redemption. With God will not leave you alone with your mistakes. Can I tell that again? I'll say that again for somebody. That God will not leave you alone with your mistakes. God will not leave you alone with your mistakes. I got to say it again. God will not leave you alone with your mistakes. And you got to tell some people, listen, don't be fooled. I know you may have certain opinions of me, but if you stick around me long enough, you'll meet my imperfections. That's honest. I know we like to put on the airs to people as though we're always on point, that we don't make mistakes sometimes, that all is well. But if you stick around me long enough, you're going to run right into my imperfections. You got to let people know that from gate. You got to let them know that from beginning. I know I seem one way, but that's because you just coming up on me right now. You just meeting me right now. But keep on working with me. Keep on engaging me. And pretty soon you're going to run into my temper. You're going to run into my moodiness. You're going to run into my attitude. You're going to run into the things that I keep away from you because I want you to like me. Pause. Hold on. Hold on. You're going to run into the things I try to keep away from you because I want you to like me. You didn't catch that. You're going to run into the things I try to keep away from you because I want you to like me. In other words, look at the things we will do to get people's affirmation, validation, and love that then at the same time is not true to who we are. We become these fraudulent spectacles of falseness and pretentiousness in order to gain the affirmation of people because we want them to to like us. But you got to understand if you start lying, you got to keep lying and sustain the lie in order to gain the approval you see. Because every now and again, through the cracks in your character, the truth will come out. I'd rather let people know from the gate what the truth is than then have to discover it because I've been lying about who I am. Why? Because if people are really in your life for the right reasons, they can handle all of you. Oh, gosh. You, you get that? If people are in your life for the right reason, they can handle all of you. And it doesn't mean that you got to go tell it all, but you might as well introduce a little pause to yourself at the beginning so folk ain't taken aback when they discover what you did not show. Oh, you missed that. No. If you stick around long enough at some point, you're going to meet my imperfections. But you'll also stick around long enough to meet my story of redemption. How God has turned my life 
around. Some of the greatest moments of redemption have happened at times where you weren't looking for it. Can you imagine? The scriptures don't say this part, but I can see it. I can see it as clearly because I've had those experiences in my life. The women go to the disciples and they tell the disciples he's risen. Just like he said. Meet him in Galilee. And then they ask, where's Peter? We're not sure. We ain't seen him since that night in the garden. We heard some things about him that are quite disturbing, though. What the teacher said he would do, he did. Some people who were there around the fire that night said that he denied him. I know there were some of the disciples who probably were mad at him and angry with him as though they had no flaws. Because people love to do that part. When they find out your flaws and your mistakes, they love to remind you of that as if they don't have a narrative. We're not sure where he was. Can you imagine? Those women then went on a search to find Peter. And in my mind, I've always seen this scene as Peter walking off somewhere by himself and even contemplating maybe even doing what Judas did because the weight of guilt was so heavy on him. He had let his best friend down. Peter, he turns and he looks and there's three women there. What do you want? We have a message for you. What? The teacher wants to see you in Galilee. What do you mean? The message we got, Peter, he's alive. He's risen. I can see the tears streaming down Peter's face. Surely he doesn't want to see me. Surely he doesn't want to be close to me. Yes, the message is for you to come to. Come to Galilee. Come and see him. With all of your guilt, bring it. All of your hurt, bring it. All of your mistakes, bring it. Because he can handle all of that. I can only imagine Peter's journey to Galilee. From Jerusalem to Galilee was about a three days walk. Can you imagine all that went through his head in those three days? He could have been thinking at one moment, maybe he hates me and maybe he doesn't want to see me. Maybe he wants to see me to embarrass me and remind me what I did. And maybe he wants to see me to, to make me look like a fool in front of my brothers. I don't know. But in three days is a lot of time to think about all kind of things. And when Peter gets there and he sees Jesus, this is what redemption looks like. No mention of what he did. No talk about the mistake. He simply said, Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? No, 
start again. Peter, do you love me? That one is for the first denial. Peter, do you love me? Yes, that one is for the second denial. Peter, do you love me? Yes, that one is for the third denial. In other words, Peter, your denials do not trump my love. There is nothing that can trump the love of God in your life. I'm not talking to everybody today. But somebody came here today hoping that with resurrection could also be the resurrection of your possibilities. You want a, a new lease and a new start on life. You want to move forward now in ways that you couldn't have before. And, and it doesn't mean that things will be the same. It just means that you get a new start and you have to figure out the journey, not just by yourself, but with God. And redemption is not an announcement to all the people who know you made a mistake. Redemption is not for them. Redemption is for you. You do not have to go around talking about you've been redeemed, you've been restored. You just live it and it will be seen. You honor what God is doing. But I need to help somebody here today because there's someone here, there's somebody's here today who have felt the weight of their indiscretion. But remember what I said, indiscretion cannot be addressed unless honesty is dealt with. And you have to be able to say what you did and who you are. And then you can experience the fullness of redemption. Peter denied Jesus, but he never denied that he denied Jesus. He lived with that until he was redeemed. And once he was redeemed, there was no more conversation about what he was done. Because that is redemption is. Redemption is not the constant rehashing of what you've done. It is the realizing that what you've done is in the past and now live anew. And all of us in here are grateful that redemption is real. That there is a moment and a time where we've all experienced redemption and restoration. Just like on that day, almost 30 years ago, when I heard these words, and Peter, I kept hearing, and Michael, you could never let me down. You could never let your family down. You can never let anyone down as long as you keep on living and keep on trusting. And I had to learn that. And I'm so grateful. You know why? Because once one is redeemed, you do not know what the story will look like after that. I could not imagine over 30 years ago that I would be standing in anybody's pulpit being anybody's pastor when I was ready to go to the military and be somebody's officer. But when God decides to redeem you, he doesn't just redeem your mistakes. He redeems your choices. Oh, God. And sets you on a new path in your life. You set you on a mood in your life where you can begin to live in ways that reflect the beauty and the love of God. It is people who guilt you. It is God who gifts you. It is people who make you feel bad. It is God who lifts you up. It is people who want to always throw in your face what you've done. It is God who says, breathe new life and begin to live anew. It is people who often want to remind you of how messed up and flawed you are. But it is God who says, you are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Go and live the life you are created to live and live it in love and in service of others. On this Resurrection Sunday, 
If there's anything you walk away with today, walk away with this. That every last mistake is past. And all possibilities abound. And even if you make more mistakes, you can't out-mistake God's love. That it is real for you. It is real. And I don't know who it is I'm speaking to, but you came in here today heavy. Heavy. Because you, you didn't feel pleased about your life. In fact, it was hard to feel good about your life, surrounded by people who kept reminding you. But every time you're ready to guilt yourself into pain and misery, just remember, and Peter, and me, God hasn't forgotten about me. God hasn't left me. God has not forsaken me. You can leave here today walking with that powerful confidence that you are not alone in this journey. That God will continue to pour into you no matter what you've done. I know there's a quarter and a place in a segment of Christianity that wants to make you feel horrendous and terrible and, and you got to keep confessing over and over and over again. Here's what I realized. There's no one who can make you feel worse about you than you. But at the same time, you also have the, have the capacity to make yourself feel good about you. And how do you do that? Well, you know that I've been forgiven by God. I've been redeemed by God. And now I will live in the light of this new day. And guess what? That new day happens every day. Morning by morning. New mercies I see. Morning by morning. New mercies I see. Do me a favor. Stand up today. And I know we got to go, but I want to pray today. And just by a show of hands, I want to see those today, if you can be honest, who came in here today with deep guilt. Just be honest. Just put that, don't be ashamed. Deep guilt about things you've done, mistakes you've made, that you continue at sometimes to live over and over again in your life. Deep guilt. There is nothing you've done that is outside of the grace of God. There is nothing you've done that is outside of the love of God. And if you came here on this Resurrection Sunday 
because he is risen? Know this, you will rise too. You will rise from your mistakes. You will rise from your imperfections. You will rise. Don't miss life mourning what you've done. Don't miss life mourning what you've done. Because every day you take a deep breath, that means you have a new opportunity to live again. Let me see those hands again. Let me see those hands again. Well, let's pray together. God, thank you today. Thank you today, oh God. Thank you, God. On this Resurrection Sunday. Because on this day, you've reminded us that hope is not gone. And most of all, that is hope for and in ourselves. That this day symbolizes, oh God, that when we thought doors were closed and opportunities were dead, you give new life. So God, thank you for the new life you've given us today. The new opportunity to keep living and loving and serving. The new opportunity to move forward in ways that transcend even our greatest faults and mistakes. God, thank you. Thank you, God. Because the truth is, oh God, we all live with some memory of something that is displeasing. But the good news is, oh God, you don't leave us with those memories. You give us new memories. Memories of redemption and restoration. Memories of love and joy. Memories of forgiveness and hope. God, thank you today. Because somebody will leave this place a little lighter today, oh God. Thank you. Somebody will leave this place, oh God, trusting and believing even more in themselves. God, thank you. Somebody will leave this place never allowing themselves to be guilted again about things they've done, but will live in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory and brings you joy, oh God. God, thank you. Thank you for how you're moving right now. Thank you for how you're showing up right now. Thank you for the psychological change you're breaking right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for wiping tears away, God, and giving us joy. Thank you, God. And today, oh God, we release those feelings of guilt. We release that pain. We release the hurt. We release the continuous self-inflicted wounds. We release that today, oh God, and believe that you are not only redeeming us, but you're replacing those feelings with feelings of love and forgiveness and hope. God, thank you for not leaving us alone with our own misery and our own agony. God, thank you. Thank you. And somebody's going to leave here today walking a little taller. Walking a little lighter. Face a little brighter. Because a weight has been lifted. Because redemption is real. Thank you for including us in your love, oh God. Thank you for including us in your joy. Thank you. Thank you for sending us all that message. 
that we have not been forgotten. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. And we say amen. 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 Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, just sing it. Oh. God loves us. Listen, beloved, I pray that on this day, you continue to have an amazing day. But when you leave here today, when you leave here today, think about all those moments when you know God has redeemed your life. And then remind yourself of how powerful the love of God has been in and over your life. And your responsibility is not to walk around in gloom and doom, but to live in the light of the love and forgiveness and redemption of God. You see, you can't celebrate getting up when you're content with staying down. Live resurrection today. Live in the hope of renewed possibility and renewed life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to